So Sunday night, we got through, I mean, we just barely started touching on the doctrine of God. Amen. We talked about different theological terms. We talked about theology itself and how we shouldn't be afraid of it. And then we talked about a few things about the doctrine of God. So I'm going to give you, in a nutshell, biblical the biblical doctrine of God. And there's three major questions when we discuss what the doctrine of God is. Amen. And, hey, Matt, do you remember where... Uh, Minimize that screen real quick. Go to Agape Fellowship Church. Go to bylaws. Yeah, double click it. And then confessions. And then go to 1689. No, no. Yeah, that one right there. And then you're going to scroll down to chapter 2. Okay? Sorry, we probably should have had that set up beforehand, but I forgot. Right now, me and Kyle's the only one with a book. <laughs> and his is at home. Well, you got one in the back of your Bible. You forgot about that, didn't you? I'm glad I'm helping you out. That's what I'm here for, Kyle. See, see, that's how it's got to work on Sunday morning when you talk to me about offering. <laughs> you got to remind me. You guys can go in there if you want. All right, so beginning the discussion about the doctrine of God, I want you to take note, uh, go back to the same folder, Matt, you can minimize that, go back to the same folder, go backwards one, see the little arrow, over, 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 left, hey, in the corner, yeah, right there, now go to, no, uh, yeah, go back to that, go back to that. Open the Baptist Faith and Message. Top. SBC Baptist Faith and Message. Second one in the list. Open that. Okay. Now we're going to have two things open. Now go down. Now I want you to notice. Both of them start with the same two topics. First, Scripture. Then, our doctrine of God. Why is that? Because everything that we teach is not what I think about God or what I think about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, not what I think about the family, not what I think about the church, but what the Bible teaches about these things. The Bible is our rule for faith and practice in following God and knowing who God is. Not Mr. S you know, prophet so-and-so. It's the, the scriptures. Amen. There's a reason, and if you go to the Westminster Confession, if you go to, if you go to uh, the Assemblies of God, 16 Fundamental Truths, their first thing is the Scriptures. It should be. If it's not, leave that church, okay? The, the, the Scriptures are what we follow, period. End of story. Why? Because men... My, my vision can be flawed. My hearing God can be flawed. But the scriptures are perfect. The scriptures are inerrant, infallible. Amen? We must follow scripture. Okay? Now, tonight we're going to ask first, my first question is, who is God? Amen? Now, we started to answer this. Flip back over to the 1689 
just the, yeah, that tab right there. This one, in the 1689, he breaks it up into three categories. Who God is, what God is, and then the Trinity. Okay? See the first one? The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose substance is in and of himself. Scroll down. Second paragraph says, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself self-sufficient. This starts talking about who God is, what God is. He's a spirit. Amen. Infinite, holy, independent upon all creatures, right? Go down. The third paragraph ta starts talking about God being three persons in essence but one as a whole, amen? Now flip back over to the Baptist Statement Message. I want you to notice that, go ahead and click it. Although the Baptist Statement Message does not break it down at first, what they do is they put it all in the same paragraph. Now watch this. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personable being the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of all the universe. God is infinite in all holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and his per uh, perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Now, it puts in one paragraph, breaking it down, it's basically giving you a, 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 a synopsis, a, a quick reference of all of the things that they're going to talk about when they talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They do it a little different. But the 1689 does the exact same thing. I like a lot of what the 1689 has to say about God because it gives you very concise language about what we believe about God and why. Amen? Now, the first thing that we're going to read, go back to the 1689. I want to go through this real quick. Now scroll back up to the first paragraph of chapter 2. This is where we're starting. The Lord our God is but one and only living and true God. Stop. This is the fundamental belief that we hold of God. And it extends to all different kinds of scriptural beliefs about who God is. So number one, the first question is, and if when you take the discipleship class, you'll get this little book here. And in the back where it says the catechism may sound like a real funny word, okay? But it asks, how many questions are there? I forget how many questions there are. You don't have it in your back of your Bible. You don't have the catechism. I'll tell you, there's 114 questions about who God is. And it gives you answers. It the catechism simply means confession. That's what it means. Okay, it's a it's a catechized or uh, how how do I say it right? Well, uh, the word catechism comes from the word catechesis, which 
Right. In other words, it breaks it down in a way you can learn. Now watch this. The very first question in this is, who is the first and chiefest being? Or who's the first and greatest being in all of the universe? Should be God. Amen. So the answer that they give is God is the first and the chief being in all the universe, right? And it gives you some verses for this. And I want to go and look at a few of these verses so we can go through this. And you can see that everything that we just read is going to be quantified in this question of who's the chief being in the universe. Because the problem with man is we think we are, right? The, the sinfulness of my own nature makes me want to focus on me, that I'm the center of the universe, that everything ought to be working out because I'm here. And because I'm here, it ought to go my way, right? So we're just going to lay this out here. Who is the chief being in all the universe? Go to Isaiah 44. Isaiah chapter 44. And we're going to go to verse 6. We're going to start at verse 6. And if you want, Kyle, can you just Google the word catechism for us? Just so we can have an answer for that. Because I didn't actually expect to answer that question. But guess what? If we live in a modern technical age where we can answer that real fast. Amen? All right. Isaiah 44, starting at verse 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. I have, have I not told you from old and declared it, and you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Question mark. There is no rock I know not of any. Now here's this sounds funny when he ends, there is no rock, I know not any. Now, what's he mean by that? Throw it out there. Anybody, what do you think he's talking about? There's no other, there's no other God. This whole chapter of Isaiah is dealing with idolatry. You know what idolatry is, right? Where what they did in, in Israel's day, they had the worship of Asherah. And the worship of Baal. And what they would do is an Asherah pole is just a tree that they carved things into. And they went to this tree and they worshipped this tree. And they called this tree the god Asherah. And then they build a little temple and they build this carved creature from stone. And they would call him Baal. And they would worship him. As a matter of fact, what Israel got in trouble with coming out of Egypt was... God brought them out of Egypt with all them ten plagues, got them through the, the, the Red Sea, water on both sides. They walked across on dry land. They had a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of smoke by, or a pillar of smoke by night or day and a pillar of fire by night. I know what I mean. Anyway, 
They had all this. And when they got to the mountain, instead of praising God, when Moses went up the mountain, they built herself a golden calf. And you know what they started saying to the calf? They started praising the calf and saying, you brought us out of the land of Egypt. You delivered us from Pharaoh. You brought... Come on. We do that. Human beings. God delivers us, frees us. And then we start going, I met Jesus. I did this. I did that. Come on, don't we? Worshiping the Kevin's choice and Kevin's decision and Kevin's greatness instead of God who saved me, delivered me. Amen? Come on. And he's asking fundamental questions here. He says, I'm the first and the last. I want you to mark that because he says that all throughout the Old Testament. I'm the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Period. So we get this question all the time as pastors. Well, how many gods are there? The Bible says thou shalt have no other gods before me. That means there's other gods. No, there's other false gods. Every other God besides God is a false God. Every other God except for Yahweh is a false God, an idol. And he will not save you. Amen. This is fundamentally, you have to understand this as a Christian. To be a born-again, Bible-believing, following Christ Christian, you have to know that God is one and only God. You don't get to serve anybody else. You don't get to just kind of dabble over here and dabble over there. Amen? Which is what got Israel in trouble all throughout the Old Testament. They do good for a little while, and then, oh, here they go back into Baal worship or Asherah worship and all. And we forget when, when the... I, Elijah was on Mount Carmel. It wasn't just the prophet of Baals that was there. There's also prophets of Asherah that were on top of that mountain. Amen? <clears throat> Let me get back to my notes. I'll lose my spot. I do got notes. Go to Isaiah 48. So just turn four pages Isaiah 48, and we're going to start at verse 12. Just 12 and 13. He says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. And I am he, the first, and I am the last. He says that again, right? My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Here's another instance of God being the chief being. What does it mean, the chief? When he says, I'm the first, what is he saying? He's saying, before anything was, I am. Jesus echoes this when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. When Jesus said this, he was telling them, I'm God. And people go, well, he never claimed to be God. Okay, why did they pick up stones to stone him when he said that? Why did they pick up stones to stone him when he said, I and the Father are one? He even asked them, he said, for what sin have you, uh, or for what good deed have you picked up stones to stone me? He said, we're not picking up stones to stone you for a good deed. 
We're picking up stones because you blasphemed and you've made yourself equal with God. That's the Pharisees' own words. Their understanding when Jesus said, I am the Father are one, is he was saying, I am God. Nobody stoned anybody. The Pharisees picked up stones to try to stone Jesus. Every time he made a statement about his deity, it records it in John when he said, when he said, I and the Father are one, the Pharisees picked up stones, it says, to stone him. Right? When he said that uh, he, uh, what was the other one I just said a second ago? Oh, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to stone him. They weren't successful. They didn't end up doing it, but they picked him up. And John records that they picked the stones up and they were fixing to stone him. And Jesus had a dialogue with him and said, why are you doing this? Because you are claiming to be God. That's just for all the people that said Jesus never said that he was God. Okay, he did. He made very adamant claims that he was God. This book doesn't like staying open. Stay open. Let me get a, get a mic to hold that here in a second. Go to my next verse. Go to Psalm 97. Well, go to 90 first since we're on our way there anyway. Go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And I think I like this one better than 97, but you can tell me what you think, okay? <clears throat> Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, this is another statement where it is clearly saying before anything else existed, God existed, right? So when we ask the fundamental question, who is God? We have to first start off with the question that the, the catechism asks is, who's the chief being or who's the first thing that ever was? God. Amen. We all have to have that understanding. Number one thing in Hebrews, what does it say? Anyone who says they believe must believe that God is. That's the first thing. You have to believe that God is. And then you have to believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what it says. You have to believe that God is. Is what? Is who exactly who he said he was. The great I am. The first and the last. The alpha, the omega. Amen. All of that. From everlasting to everlasting. You have to believe this. Amen. And then you have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it's kind of confusing. And I know you're like, well, that's kind of a weird way to start off. Who is God by asking another question to try to answer another question? I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm doing that to cause you to think. Go with me, if you will, again to Psalm 97. We're going to go to 97, verse uh, 9. Verse 9. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Remember this song? Do you guys remember this song? 
For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth, and thou art exalted far above all gods. Amen? Remember that song? That song is actually just Psalm 97. Amen? They're singing it on purpose because this is fundamental to our understanding of God. If we think God is just one of many ways, then we're missing the actual biblical doctrine of God because God is the only God. Not just one of many gods, but he's, even if there were other gods, he would be above all those gods. That's what this, that's what this text says. Amen? So, we know, we see here that God is the first and the chief being. Or as the first paragraph in the 1689 says, the Lord our God is but one and only living and true God. Now flip back over, Matt, to the Baptist faith and message. I want you to notice what they say. There is one and only one living and true God. If we go back to Isaiah 44, which we will here in a minute, we're going to see... That Isaiah 44 is telling you that all the other gods are just rubble and stone and carved by man's hands. They are not really gods. They are not going to save. They will not redeem. They will not get you into heaven. Amen? Uh, so looking at both of these, we still don't have a complete answer to who God is. Amen? We're just getting started on who God is. But I want to go ahead, flip back over to 1689. I just want to read again a little bit more of that chapter. Are you awake, son? Yeah. Okay, flip back over to the other chapter. There you go. Uh -uh. Whose substance is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. A most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, who hath only immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, loving, uh, uh, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Did we not already quote that verse? And with all most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Now, see, we have this false understanding about God nowadays, and we talked about this. If you scroll down there, son, you'll notice all these verses, and they're not just in the Old Testament. You've got New Testament, Old Testament mixed all through there. Why? Because the Old and New Testament give us a complete, clear picture of who God is. And that's one of the fundamental truths that you'll find out that Although God has made himself known in all of nature, it is in scripture that God reveals himself to men unto salvation. 
This is where we get a clear account of who God is, what God has done for us, amen, and what God is willing to do to save us, amen. We must know this book. We're not going to walk out here willy-nilly and be in the middle of God's plan, amen. Now, still have this question. He said, I, I, I wrote this down. I said, okay, the question still remains not being fully answered or completely answered, who is God? So we ask another question. And I wanted to, I, I, I got me a fancy new Bible uh, just because I had extra money and I saw it and I said, hey, that'll be nice. And I actually got a companion book on evangelism with this Bible. And if you know who Ray Comfort is, you'll know that he walks around the streets. And you ever seen the guy on Facebook? With the beard asking people questions have you ever broken the ten commandments you ever stole you ever lied you ever cheated that guy this guy wrote this it's called the evidence bible and it's got all kinds of ways to engage people in sharing the gospel and get into getting using the law so that they can see that they're in need of a savior amen and he asked this question in this in a little uh i, I call it a note okay he wrote this little question in note which God are you talking about? Because that's what people will do. Well, it's one of many ways. Remember what we already talked about. He's, he just one of many ways. What God are you talking about? Thor, Zeus, Jupiter. You know, what God are you talking about? We're talking about Yahweh. Amen. I want to read to you this little note that he wrote in here. The reference to this question, these in, in the, the, the inference to this question is that these were mythological gods and so is yours. That's what the world thinks. They think all those other gods were mythological, so yours has to be too. Well, the problem with this is all those gods don't have any proof that they've really ever done anything. But we know that Jesus lived, we know that Jesus died, and we know that Jesus rose again. So we got proof that the God we say is God is actually God. Amen? So... And I'm not even going to go, I'm not going to stop there. I want to finish reading this for you, okay, so you don't miss out on this blessing too, okay? Atheists are correct about these other gods being myths. Man's gravity, and man gravitates towards idolatry, making up false gods as a moth does to a flame. There are millions of false gods. Hinduism has over 330 million false gods but there is only one creator that is the God who reveals himself to Moses on the mountain who gave us his moral law and that is the God you and I will have to face on judgment day another argument atheists use is that they cannot prove that God doesn't exist just as you and I can't prove that the tooth fairy doesn't exist. This is a demeaning way of equating belief in God with belief in the tooth fairy. It is true that we cannot disprove the existence of either the tooth fairy or God. However, belief in the existence of the tooth fairy is inconsequential. Belief and therefore obedience to the one true God has eternal consequences. Because if what happened 2,000 years ago was really true, and we're right, there's consequences. Amen? 
the reality is we, we, if we're wrong, have nothing to lose. But if they're wrong, they have everything to lose. Because they will stand face to face with the God you and I know truly exists. Amen? I wanted to bring that up because that is an argument that people make all the time when you share your faith. Am I wrong? They, they do it all the time. Well, you don't know that your God's real. You can't even prove God's real. Sure I can. You want me to prove God's real? I don't even have to open a Bible, okay? It's mathematically impossible for everything to ever come out of all the universe from absolute nothingness. That is, a, that is factual. Mathematically impossible. Scientifically impossible. Nothing always makes nothing every time. Nothing has never made anything. Therefore, the whole universe cannot have possibly be made from nothing unless God. Only God makes something from nothing. Man can't do anything like that. Man has, I had an argument with somebody who was really big in science one time. They said, oh, we make something from nothing all the time in particle accelerators. No, you don't. You have a particle. You have electricity. You're accelerating the particle you already have. That's exactly what a particle accelerator does. Now, it might, you might smash it into another particle, and that might make some new particle, but you didn't make something from nothing. You had existing matter that you used to create something. God didn't have anything but himself. Amen? Yeah, so anything is good, right? I can do anything immoral and it'd be fine if we're just particles bumping into each other, right? But we know better than that. Where there's a law, there has to be a lawgiver. Where there is a design, there has to be a designer. There's no other place in the universe that you can show me things happen without a plan, without a design. Amen? The human body is so intricately designed, it's impossible. You want to know something? It's more probable that I take, anybody got a watch on? Nobody wears watches anymore. It's more probable if I took Mike's cell phone and I took it apart piece by piece and put all those pieces in a box. If I shook that box up, there's more of a chance of that phone coming back together, each piece where it's supposed to be, right where it's supposed to be. There's more chance of that happening when I shake a box up than the whole universe coming together from nothingness without a plan. It's impossible. It is impossible. What, anybody tell me, what's one plus zero? What's zero plus zero? What's zero times three? Why? Because zero always makes zero. Zero times anything is zero. Amen? The only way I'm going to get one out of zero is by adding something. Amen? So either there was something or there was nothing. 
Amen? But if there was nothing, there cannot be something. That's the reality. That's mathematics and science at work. Okay? I didn't even open the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> now, here's another question that we asked, okay? Which God? And we, we just read uh, Ray Comfort's words where he was talking about other gods. I want to go back to Isaiah 44 because I want to show you something in Isaiah 44 that I purposely didn't read while we were there so that we could go back and read it now, okay? We left off in Isaiah 44 at verse 8, right? It says, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? There is no God. It, oh, is there a God beside me? God's asking this question. He said, There is no rock. I know not of any. Now watch this. What's the very next verse? They start talking about idol worship. The very next verse. For nothing. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let all of the assembly, let them stand forth. Shall they be terrified? Shall they be put to shame together? The ironsmith takes and cuts, uh, takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it and hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry. And his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line and marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with a plane and marks it with a compass. He shapes it to a figure of a man with, a with the beauty of man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars and he chooses cypress trees and or oaks and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar then rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Oh, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Ah, oh, I am warm and have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes a little, he makes into a god, little g, his idol, and falls down to worship and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, they do not discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand no one considers, nor is there any knowledge of discernment to say half of it is burned in the fire. Also, baked bread on its coals, and I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it into an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. He, a, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he, and he cannot deliver himself or say... There is not a lie in my right hand. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servants. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be for, 
uh, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. For thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the words of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, dry, and I dry up your rivers, who says to Cyprus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purposes, saying to Jerusalem, she shall be built in the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. Now notice, he's making a point here that false gods do not redeem. Only God redeems. Amen? He's drawing this distinction because the land that they live in, they're worshiping Asherah poles, which is why he talks about the trees. You plant this tree. And he said, he's mocking them. He says, you're going to take this tree. You're going to cut it down. And part of it, you're going you're gonna to take and you're going to burn and warm yourself with it. And then you're going to take part of it. And then you're going to cook your food on it and eat from it. And then the other part, the third that you have left, you're going to take and you're going to make a little God. And you're going to worship that. Really? What good is that going to do you? That's where all men are before Christ. We all either idolize ourselves or the world or other things. That's where we were. Dead in our trespasses and sin. God and God alone redeems. This is a fundamental truth of, a, of the doctrine of God. Amen? God saves not false gods, not false ways. There's not many ways to heaven. There's but one living and true God. And there's only one way to heaven. Amen. You see how he's making fun of them? God is sitting there making fun of them and telling Israel, come, you know, you're not going to be like that. Because I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to show you. Amen. And then he reiterates, I made all things. I'm the one that stretched out the heavens. Amen? Oh, you're just raising your hand, praising the Lord? Good. Okay, I thought you had a question. Amen. I'm, I'm excited about this, okay? The reality is we have far too loose of an understanding of the doctrine of God in the Christian church today. We just have this. Look, I know Jesus said that he calls us friends, okay? But I should never... Look at this friend Jesus like I look at my friend Mike. Amen. Mike is my friend. And I love Mike. But I don't worship Mike. Because Mike ain't God and Mike can't get me to heaven. Mike didn't die on a cross for me. I need to put Jesus back in the place that he deserves. Amen. He is my friend. But I ought to come to this friend in reverence because he's not only my friend, but he's 
like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Amen? This whole chapter is bent on talking about idolatry and the worship of false gods. So when we ask the first question, who is God? We know that God is the first and chief being. Then we have to say, well, what God? Because, you know, we hear all these other people talking about God. Well, what God is it? Well, if we go back to Exodus, we can see the God that talked to Moses on the mountain, Yahweh. Amen. The, the word where he says, uh, I am that I am, that doesn't mean Yahweh. Okay, I don't want you to get that mixed up. That word, the words that are used there is Ahaya, which means the most high. Okay, the word that he uses in that whole chapter over and over and over is a word that you will know. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Oh, starts with an S. Oh, I'll tell you in a minute. I'll remember it right off the top of my head. I know I will. <clears throat> oh, whatever. I drew, I just went blank. <laughs> went blank. Uh, just Google names of God real quick. Google it real quick. Did you Google the other thing I told you to Google? Okay, let's let's go to that real quick. Tell me what. Uh, catechism means right 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 it is simply questions and answers in other words we're laying out what we believe in question and answer form that's what a catechism is what is God this is what God is. This is what the Bible teaches about God, right? So when, when you hear that word, don't get freaked out. Amen? Uh, the, the word, I, there's a word that I'm looking for. Did you already Google it, Mike? No, no, no. Just read the, start reading the names. And I'll tell you which one I'm thinking of because I'm just drawing a blank right now. Elohim. It's Elohim. Guarantee you. It wasn't an S. It's Elohim. Genesis, Exodus, use Elohim nearly every time it talks about God. Almost exclusively, it means the most high God. Elohim. Okay? The word, when Moses is on the mountain, every other word that he says, God, 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 throughout those three chapters is Elohim, 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 Elohim. Amen? That, that is one of the words that's most used for who God is because it means the most high God. Amen? Uh, and, and the word Ahaya, or I am that I am, simply means the most high. Amen? So he is making reference to himself in that way. Amen? Uh, lastly, the last question that we're going to ask, and this one is actually in the catechism too, okay? And I wanted to go back to it. This is question number eight in the catechism, okay? Because this is one that that is asked all the time, and this is one that Christians ask all the time. How many persons are there in the Godhead? <laughs> 
Next question. Is God one or is God three? Thought God's one. No, God is one, but there's three persons. That's hard to figure out. It's a mystery. It's kind of like how in the world do I get born again? How many of you know Jesus? Raise your hand. It's okay. So, you know Jesus. Guess what? You're born again. But you look the same in the mirror, don't you? You go to the mirror, you look like you, but it ain't you. Why? Because I've been born again. I'm different, right? I'm supposed to be different. Something's changed inside of me. My spirit me. Because I know that I have a mind, a will, and emotions, but I also have a spirit. Amen? I also know I have this dirt suit. So even in that, I'm a triune being because I have a spirit, I have a body, and I have a mind. Three things. Amen? But all you see is one, ain't it? Come on. Let's stop acting like we don't see this mystery all around us all the time anyway, okay? So to say that this can't be answered out of Scripture is uh, just mind-boggling to me, okay? And on this, this question, I just want you to look. I wrote down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 verses that I could pull off the top of my head out of the New Testament that talks about the Trinity or three or God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's just 15 verses that I can pull off the top of my head. Okay? The reality when people say, well, the Trinity ain't in the Bible, that's wrong. Okay? It's not even correct. It's not even close to correct. You can see it all through Jesus' speech. I and the Father are one. Hold on. What do you mean by I and the Father are one? Well, we already talked about the Pharisees knew what he was saying. They were He was saying he was God. Amen? It's impossible to imply anything else than I'm God. Amen? But he didn't say that, did he? Right. No, I'm with you. You're, now, if you if you know anything about Kyle, he argues against oneness doctrine a whole lot. If you don't know what oneness doctrine is, it's basically they refute or don't believe in the Trinity at all. Okay? They believe it's basically a, vo a form of modalism, right? It, it's modalism. It's just one God and he's just pretending to be the Son or he's pretending to be the Holy Spirit. You, what? Why would he do that, okay? That's hard to, so, so here's the problem I see with that, just off the top of my head. Jesus' baptism, you hear Father God talking from heaven, right? You see Jesus in the water and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, okay? They're not all in the same spot. God, the Father was still in heaven, hence he's speaking from heaven. He wasn't in Jesus, he was speaking from heaven and the Holy Spirit wasn't in Jesus because it descended upon him like a dove okay so we see here that there is absolutely three separate people but they're one now how that all works is kind of like me trying to explain that there's air in the room that you can't see <laughs> amen you know it's here 
you know that it's there, explaining it's not always the easiest thing. Amen? Now, to move on from that, I don't want to move on very quickly. Are there more than one God? This is the question eight that we're asking, okay? Are there more than one God? No. There's not more than one God, right? <clears throat> question nine is, how many persons are in the Godhead? There are three persons in the God. This is the answer that you get if you, if you read through what we're going to read through up there. Amen. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. <clears throat> Scroll down to paragraph three. Now we're going to read this. In this divine and infinite being, which is God, there are three substances, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one, one of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is none, neither begotten nor proceeding, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit is proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite without being, therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several particularly relative properties and personal relationships. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all of our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him? Now scroll down a little more. Are you awake? Scroll down a little more. Right there. That's fine. Those are the ones that they give you for the Trinity. That's not even half of what I got written down off the top of my head. Okay? Now there's a couple that I want to talk about and draw your attention to. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Because for anybody that says Jesus and the Father, uh, they're not the same, or they, they, there's, you know, Jesus wasn't really God, okay? Because that's an argument people make, right, Kyle? Jesus wasn't really God. I want to give you a verse for this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, now, if you just look at the very last word of the next of the last verse, it says Christ, right? Okay, now verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What does the King James say right there, Mike? Now, people go, where do you get this word Godhead? Well, right there in the King James is where we get the word Godhead from. Because it says, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means all of God, not just part of him, not just a little bit of him, dwelt in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was God. Jesus dwelt before the worlds were even made. Jesus existed. He tells the Father, 
Father, glorify me now with the glory I had with you before. Before what? Before the foundation of the world. Amen. He said before Abraham was, I am. Amen. We read in John 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 is epitome of teaching Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus is birthed. Go back to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to, I'll show you that Matthew believed Jesus was God in the flesh. Okay? Uh, starting at let's just start at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And all of this took place. Now, I want to stop right here. Do you realize verse 22 is now Matthew talking? Okay? Matthew's writing this epistle, this this, this uh gospel right Matthew stops right here after the angel talks and says for he will save his people from their sin now Matthew just about to explain to you why this matters to you all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet behold the virgin shall be conceived or shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. You see this? Matthew, first of all, Matthew is doing one very important thing. He is exegeting the scriptures for you. He's explaining what the scripture meant. And he's telling you, Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. He is God with us. He is God living among us. He is, John chapter 1 says, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Amen. This is the same person. Go to John 1. We'll read the first verse here in John 1 where he says, <clears throat> I want to talk. We just talked about the incarnation, right? We just finished up the incarnation. It says this. Uh, we'll start. Yeah, verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. They're talking about Jesus' birth, Jesus' incarnation, Jesus coming to earth because he was God in the flesh. Not just a man, not just a prophet. I just watched a I just watched a, a, a video the other day. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Bodhi Bauckham. He was saying, everybody loves Jesus if he's a prophet or he's a good teacher or just a good man. But the minute you do what Jesus did and said, I and the Father are one, people are ready to stone you when you equate Jesus with being God. 
People do it nowadays. They will refuse to believe Jesus is the Christ. John wrote his whole gospel so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ. John, in John 1, says anybody who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is a, what, antichrist. And then he says in 1 John, or in 2 John, that if anybody denies Jesus came uh, in the flesh, physically, is the antichrist. So you have two people, you know, you have these groups of people, they'll say, well, Jesus was just a man, he wasn't God. Or Jesus was just kind of pretending to be a man, he wasn't really a man. No, Jesus was man and God, and he's still one with the Father. How that works is beyond me, but Jesus said it. Jesus also said that he was going to send another comforter who will be like him and will testify of me and will remind you of whatsoever I have said to you. Amen? That's the Holy Spirit. Amen? John, the not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist said, the one that's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Amen? So, people already had an idea of who the Holy Spirit was. Go back to Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning was God. Right? God created in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the water. You want another Old Testament reference for the Trinity? We already talked about it. God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That's in Genesis chapter two. Amen. Let us make man in our image. Notice, when Abraham meets the Lord, who all was there? There was three men. Amen? I'll, I'll leave this one alone. There's a couple other verses that I want to point out. Matthew 28 and 19 should be very simple to remember. <clears throat> but we're going to go look at it anyway. Matthew 28 and 19. And I'm sure there's people that don't want to argue about this. But nevertheless, it's in here. Amen? Uh, let's go. Yeah. 28 verse 19. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's another verse where we see all three of the Godhead mentioned. Amen? <clears throat> 1 John. Now this one is a little more vague, okay, and I'll give you that. 1 John. Go to 1 John with me. Chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. When I get there, I'll say amen. Amen. <clears throat> this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. But not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth 
For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree. If we receive testimony from men, testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Now this testimony this is what the disciples taught, that Jesus was God, that he was one with the Father, that the Spirit was sent from Jesus, and that Jesus dwells in our heart by faith because the Holy Spirit applies Christ to us. Amen? How can the Holy Spirit, who it may or may not be God, apply, Holy, apply forgiveness to our heart? He couldn't if he wasn't God. Amen? Jesus dying on a cross would have did nothing for us if he wasn't God. He had to be man and God. There's no way he could have bridged the gap between me and God without being both man and God. Amen? That's the whole purpose that he died for. Amen? To deny that Jesus and the Father are one is to deny Jesus' very words. Amen? But also understanding that the Father was in heaven while Christ was on the earth and the Holy Spirit was then sent while the Father and the Son are in heaven now. Amen? Where's Jesus? At the right hand of the Father, right? Where's the Holy Spirit? On the earth, in his church, in every believer. Amen? This is fundamentally true. This is something that the Christian church has believed for 2,000 years. Amen? So when we talk about the doctrine of God, we have to get an understanding of the biblical nature of who God is. Amen? Because, number one, if I get who God is wrong, everything else I teach about God is going to be off. Period. Amen? If God is only a little bit sovereign... That'll trickle down. What is sovereign? Sovereign means God's in control. Does God rule over all things? Does God work all things out to the purpose and counsel of his own immeasurable, immutable will? Like this says, like scripture says. Do you realize when it says that, it's quoting scripture? That God works all things out to the counsel of his own will? He doesn't ask Mike, hey Mike, I'm going to do this. What do you think? Why would he do that? Mike's a finite creature. Mike can barely know what, what, what day is today is, right? Like, anybody that knows Mike knows Mike will forget his keys, his hat, and his wallet at your house while he's trying to leave in his car, okay? Mike, and then he'll come back to the door and he'll get his keys, and then he'll leave his hat and his wallet both, okay? That's Mike. And you think God's going to ask Mike? Now, you can flip on Christian television, and you can think I'm making this stuff up, but Christian television, you can see false teachers today that will tell you God asked me about this and God asked me about that what do you what do you think I ought to do what do you, I'm thinking of a couple people right now in my mind I can name them I don't want to my wife hates that when I name them so I'm trying not to because she's probably watching on Facebook okay but I'm telling you they talk like 
They give God counsel. Okay? Like God's really so concerned about them that he wants them to tell him what they would do. God knows what you'll do. Do you? I put a post on Facebook if you guys didn't see it. God never looks down the corridor of time and sees something that he didn't already know. God will never look down the corridor of time and say, man, I didn't know that baby was going to start acting like that. He never does that, right? God, every time you messed up, Ruth, every single time you messed up, God wasn't sitting back going, I didn't see that coming. He knew your failures. He knew your faults. Amen? He didn't have to look through time to see it. He knew it. When he spoke the world into existence, he knew Adam would fall. He knew humanity would be ruined. And he knew he would save them from the beginning. Amen? Now that makes all of us who are finite creatures go, I don't understand why God would make stuff if he knew it was going to mess up. To show his glory. Because where we fail, where we fall out short, God shows his strength. God shows his glory, his forgiveness. And let me make something else very clear because we think God's glory is only shown in grace. God's righteousness, justice, and judgment also glorify himself. So God does not get dishonored by people ending up in hell. His righteousness and his judgment are perfect. And it still testifies of his greatness, of his magnificence. Amen? Of his glory. Amen? Because a just God has to punish sin. The very last statement in paragraph one says that he will by no means clear the guilty. What does that mean? He won't just pardon you. Something has to satisfy his justice. And what satisfied his justice was the cross. Where we deserved death. Christ took it for me. Amen. This is God. This is the doctrine of who God is. Amen. I know it's dry reading sometimes. I know it's not as exciting as, you know, maybe my Sunday morning when I was getting all wound up about, you know, uh, the incarnation. But this is important, fundamental Christianity that we need to be able to tell people. Amen. That we need to have an answer for. Amen. If you asked kids in 1689, this is what they're learning in Sunday school. Amen. This is you know what, 350 years ago. This is what they're learning in Sunday school. You know what I learned in Sunday school? I learned a little poem about Jesus and maybe one little half a verse, right? Come on, let's be real. And I might have remembered that verse. But I didn't know no fundamental theology. I couldn't tell you why God saved me, why I were to pray. I saw a lady, I shared it in the Reform page, saw this lady articulate the truths of biblical Christianity in a five-minute video that if you asked any Christian today, they could not articulate it that well. I mean, it's just 
We need to get back to this. We need to get back to learning why we believe what we believe. Not just, I believe it. Why? Where's the scripture for it? Can you articulate it? Can you talk about it? Can you tell other people? Can you give an answer for the hope that lies within you? That's what Peter wants us to do. That's what Peter said. We ought to not be ashamed. Workmen who are, are ready in season and out season to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Amen? Why do I believe of God? Why do I believe there is a God? Why do I believe our God is the only God? Amen? Why do I believe in the Trinity? Why do I believe Jesus is God? Why do I believe the Holy Spirit's God? We need to be able to answer these questions. Amen? And I wanted to stop and talk about the doctrine of God in between Genesis 1 and 2 because we're going into the creation of man into God's image. That's what chapter 2 is is. A, re, a retelling in detail of how God made man and why God made man. Amen? Why God made woman. Amen? Do you realize, women, that you are made because God looked at man and said, it's not good that all these other creatures have somebody else, two after their own kind, male and female. And he said, we need to make a helpmate for man. Amen. God made you so specifically for man that it's an abomination what's going on in our world today. They're trying to rob men of being men and women of being women. Amen. It's another fundamental truth of why we believe what the Bible teaches. Amen. So I'm going to pray before anybody falls asleep. Can I get an Amen. Yep, well, I didn't make it on her. She, she's still getting used to Kevin. So, uh, Actually, Kyle, can you go ahead and pray?